Hi, you're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. On this podcast, we discuss our relationship with food, whether it is easy or less so, and how it affects our behaviour. I suffered with eating disorders for years, and it took everything to pull through. Now that I'm at the other side, I want to open up the conversation, find out how other people manage this basic and most fundamental of relationships. I'm taking a light approach, but I think if this area of our lives is skewed, then so is the rest. It's never just about food. Welcome back to season two of this Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be here today with Tracy Northampton. Tracy is a psychotherapist and yoga teacher. She runs a private practice in central London specialising in eating disorders and addiction. Tracy is governor at St Andrew's Hospital Northampton and patron of the Body Dysmorphic Foundation. Last year, Tracy and her husband opened a hotel called The Falcon with a focus on wellness and for those in need of rest and renewal. This episode is dedicated to Tracy's niece, Charlotte Franklin. Charlotte suffered from body dysmorphic disorder. Sadly, as a direct result of her illness, she took her own life. Today, the 27th of May, 2021, Charlotte would have turned 21 years old. Tracy, welcome to this Food Thing podcast. Thank you, Gemma. It's really nice to be here. That's some introduction, isn't it? It is a bit. <laughs> well, exactly. Where do we start? What do we talk about? Well, the first question I always ask is food, friend or foe. So we could just dive into that. We can definitely dive okay. into that. So <laughs> how, how is food for you, friend or foe? I think it's become more of a friend over the years. But if I kind of track back to my teenage years, it was an enemy. Okay. It really was, yeah. In what way? Well, I, I did develop an eating disorder around the age of 15, 16, and, um, and I suffered from bulimia. So it kind of trickled in and then sort of manifested in, um, in that, actually. So do you know what started it? What was the trigger? I think um, there wasn't one specific trigger. I think there were several things going on at that time. I think for me... Um, I became more focused on my body, which was naturally changing within puberty. And I'd always been quite sporty and I was at a a sports orientated comprehensive school. Um, And I I think I, I didn't really think about food too much. And then suddenly... I had to focus more on my academic studies and the and the sport slowed down and for me I I could feel the body changing it almost felt the body was getting bigger and that was really uncomfortable for me. What was okay I want to go back to that what was yeah. food like at home? At home I think it was it was something it was about survival it was put on the table and looking back on it now and, and I've explored this a lot over the years in my own analysis really that it was put on the table and it was here it is we're going to have lunch we're going to have dinner we're going to have breakfast tea whatever okay. but and that let's just get through it you know there, there wasn't there wasn't <laughs> if my mom my mom I've spoken about this with my mum a lot over the years and she's like oh gosh did I really do that but I think she's learned a lot through my journey too which has been really special um but I think I, I think she she was from a, a family system where it was just like here's the food it's a fuel and there wasn't I don't think there was a lot of love that was put into it so okay. it was it was put on the table and you had to eat it and that was about it really and um there wasn't any issues around if if you don't eat everything on the plate you know that that was a problem it was more there wasn't a, an emotional connection to the food and I that I think that had an impact as well that's very interesting do you think that she was was she struggling for time or struggling with the identity of being the nurturer and the and the the carer like the food giver yeah it's a really good point i think i think my mum my mum felt that you know it was her role to be yeah. in the kitchen and we had quite a small kitchen space and it was her domain and um she she felt very proud of that and for for my sister and I we kind of like weren't allowed in that space you know again we've spoken about it now and it's all it's all been worked through but I think I think she I think she felt this is my position and there was so there was quite a controlling element to it and I think that 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 effect that deeply affected me actually so I then started a kind of 
create this sort of it, food became the enemy it really did and that went on for many years actually and just briefly where was your dad in all this well dad bless my dad he was around he's not around <laughs> now he passed away about 20 years ago actually um and he was he was there and he was he was always at the t- we always ate together okay but I, I i think it was more about how we ate and i think sure. it was quite a rush if that makes sense yeah so, and he, you know we all pitched up and then we ate as fast as we could and then we <laughs> throwing plates over your shoulder into the bin a little little, not quite that but um yeah yeah that might have happened at one point I can't remember now but I think it was more it it, the 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 ritual around food you know that I try to bring in now and the the kind of meaning of it and the love around it it just it just wasn't there and my mum acknowledges that now and she tries to do things differently now around her own relationship with with food, which is a blessing that we can even have the discussion all these years on. 100%. So when you were at school and you're you're bulimic, was that something that other people knew about? Were any of your friends bulimic? Did you know what you were doing? It's quite young, isn't it? It is. Well, I I think the, 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 the really bad habits around food, like the purging, which looking back, I think it was maybe once or twice a week, was a huge secret yeah. actually and um there was a lot of shame that developed over time on that i i was um when when i was sort of 15 15 16 time you're talking about sort of early 80s actually Gemma and yeah. anorexia was very keynote then that was known um, yeah. i think bulimia which I'll go on to in a minute, how I kind of learned about what it was and, you know, the processes with it. But that was common. Anorexia was known. It was spoken about a little bit more than any other eating disorder. So I felt I was doing something that it wasn't really known about. And I did hear from a friend at the time, it was very innocently said to me, look, Tracy, if you want to eat food... Uh-huh. And you want to maintain a good weight, you can try this this way of of kind of coping that you're not going to gain weight. You know, I look back now and even saying to you now, it sounds the most awful thing. But at that time, it was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do what it takes to maintain this body weight, which is incredibly sad. I look back and I just, you know, I, I do find it hard sometimes to kind of reconcile. I look at photographs of myself and I think, what was I at war in? I was at this war with my body and it just, um, it was actually, you know, I had a, a, a great body and I was right. fit and I was well, but I, I couldn't see it. So I took on this way of dealing with the food by purging and it was a secret. And I didn't think there was anyone else around that did it apart from this one friend. Interesting that you said he, that it was a, it was a guy. Actually, Jim, it was a, it was a she. I'm I was sorry. a she. It was okay. A she. she was called Maria. I've got no idea where Maria <laughs> is now. And I hope she's recovered. If she's out there, I really hope she's recovered from her eating disorder in the way that I have, because I'm sure she picked it up innocently in the same way that I picked up. I'm really um, struck by, uh, you at home with your family yes. eating really quickly, getting yeah. the job done, you know, move on, move on. And then doing that yourself in private, eating really quickly, getting rid of it, moving on, moving on. Yeah. And do you, do you know, do you know what the feelings were that you were trying to get rid of or that you were trying to reconcile? Cause you talked about shame. Um, you know, I, I think, have lots to say about yeah, shame, but yeah, I think the shame developed over time actually. Okay. Gemma, I think I think shame developed over time because the the longer it went on and it became a compounded secret really I think I struggled with a lot with anxiety the anxiety around studying and exams okay. wanting to be the one wanting to to do well to do well at school and you know and to perform and to um, to be good at what I was doing and and I got a lot of acknowledgement from teachers and from my family for succeeding so um, I had this inner pressure and uh, at times I wasn't coping but I didn't feel I had anybody to turn to. 
So, yeah, and I just, I relate to the bulimia just not being talked about because as far as I knew, there was Karen Carpenter who died of anorexia, didn't she? And That's then there right. was Lena Zavaroni. That's right. Which for lots of people listening who'll be young, they won't know who she was, but she was a singer. Absolutely. And she was an anorexic yeah. singer. And she died, didn't she? She did. I, actually, talking about those, those, those folk, Gemma, reminds me then of how I was... Some years on, I think I was in my early 20s, I was at a Eating Disorders Association, the EDA conference, yeah. which is now known as BEAT, B-E-A-T. Yeah. So if if anybody's suffering with an eating disorder, then that that's the sort of go-to for support groups and helpline, BEAT. Yeah. So I was, I was running a support group in my 20s, early 20s, and... I went to this conference and Princess Diana was there. Wow. And she, I'd never met her before. Why would I? And never been in a situation to meet her, but I met, met her. And she, she, she got up and spoke and she shared that she was a sufferer of bulimia, bulimia nervosa. And that was a real turning point for me, and I think many young women at that time, wow. because it then then it made it like, okay, we can wow. talk about this, and she's named it, and we can, and it really helped a lot of young people, and including myself then to to talk about it, and then you know that that was quite that was a, that was a turning point for me. That's amazing that she was a catalyst. I remember yeah. feeling a huge empathy because I was bulimic for a very long time and and I knew that she was and I just, yeah, I just used to think how on earth are you living that life yeah. and yeah. managing? Well, you're not. This is how you manage. That's amazing. So, yeah. so you say that you ran a support group in your early 20s. Yes. Were you recovered? Not not fully. And the, and the support group was... Um, was a, a really special place, really. I, I, I learned a lot, as I still do, in, in, in the role of a psychotherapist, always learning from the client, always learning yeah. from the patients. And, and I think back then, it was a very open group. It was a, a little, um, not quite 12-step recovery, but it was a support group. And uh, myself and this other guy, um, who was a trainee counsellor, same as me at the time, we, we ran a space at the Priory in Roehampton, and we did it... Um, sort of voluntary for about three years and and people could drop in either people patients at the hospital or people just outside um anybody who was struggling could come in and it was um it was a place where people could share and talk about the shame they felt and also learn about how to to manage their eating disorder and how to recover it was um it was a, a kind of a step I suppose for me personally towards then moving into counselling and then to psychotherapy, which I went on to do with a specialism in the in the area. What do you think the shame's about? Can you can you sort of oh, tie it up neatly in a sentence? This this is because it's toxic, isn't it? This shame. It's so toxic, absolutely, Gemma. And I and I think the shame for me was where you know actually I had this secret of making myself sick and purge and. Coming from a real place, I, I suppose, of almost self hatred. Yeah, it that is self hatred. Just had no sense at all, and but it felt very real. And and of course, as I went on over the years in my own personal therapy and treatment, you know, there were there was a lot of layers within the shame about you know the carry shame from my family generational pieces and how the women in the family, my family felt about themselves and how that cascaded through. Okay. Wow. Wow. I mean, it is, it's, uh, I put a little post up on the uh, Instagram page for the podcast about eating disorders being a violent act. Yes. A violent act of yeah. hostility yeah. against the self. Completely. And you can't get away from it. And the more conscious you become, and as you rightly say, the more the more you underwent treatment and recovery, yeah. the more aware you are of it's just a crazy way to live. It is. It's really missing the point. It is, it is. And at the same time, what I've also learned is that actually it was a is it is as destructive as it was, it did play a role, and yes. I think that's that. That's what I 
I try to kind of, in, you know, work with, with within my practice with people is that actually let's have a look at it. What role does this play? And from from myself, I think it was a it, it was a as crazy as it sounds. It, it was a it was a bit of a trusted friend, really. Well, I, and it, it was escapism from I, all the pressure that I would put on myself for I, trying to be something. Abs- I, absolutely, yeah. because I am. Um, sorry, completely talking over you. I'm well, so excited. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited by well, this point. I, I know, I know, and I think <clears> because I could, that's yeah. exactly how I feel. And I've talked to other people, um, and said that actually, it, it is a helper, and um, it can be a friend. And sometimes it's really necessary to to keep going while you uh, like unpeel, unpeel the layers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm 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 completely with you. We're just going to take a little break. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Tracy, and Tracy mentioned the catalyst for her changing or the trigger to make her look at her bulimia was Princess Di. And then we went in the break, she started telling me more about the story. And I was like, you need to tell the listeners that. So we're just going to go back to the Princess Diana story because this is a first. <laughs> it's a first. It's a first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was what was quite special, really, which um, sort of continued to this day, is that is that through um, meeting Princess Diana, I then connected to Susie Orbach, who wrote a, a kind of groundbreaking book, yeah. book called Facts of Feminist Issues. Yes. And then there was a, there was a real <laughs> special thing that happened because... I was working for British Airways at the time. I was I I was a stewardess um, on long haul in another life. When I did, <laughs> I did that. and actually I can I can say something about that because that was a challenge being in that job and having an eat food disorder. I but, bet um, because food was all around and you had long trips and, and anyway that's that 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 wasn't the best job in the world for me when I was struggling with my bulimia but god yeah oh, and those toilets are tiny they are they, but, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe I can't believe I'm saying that but but back to Susie because yeah. what what happened was I I really caught what she was saying in the book fat her Fifi she calls it fat is a feminist issue yeah yeah and I was on a flight, I think it was somewhere to the States, and um, I was working in in business class at the time, you know, serving, waitressing, and yeah. um, she, she was on board, and uh, I really made an effort. I looked after her, and anyway, she sent me a copy of her book when I got home, all signed, which I was really proud of. I was only, like, early 20s, <laughs> something like that. And then well, what's happened is I, over the years, I've, I have followed Susie, and her writings... And her teachings around women and bodies and image and yeah. and eating disorders is is had a is, has had a real supportive element really in my work as a therapist and she's been incredibly helpful and if your listeners ever want to know you know kind of like the those elements around being a woman and being mm-hmm. in the bodies we are in the image and social media. Um, Susie is a psychoanalyst and really, really speaks to that really well. Doesn't she does the uh, series on Radio Four? She doesn't does, she? Yeah. which are brilliant. Yeah. Those sessions yeah. are fantastic. Yeah. She's very, very personable and very real. And um, I'm, yeah, a real, real fan of hers. Actually, me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, she can come on. She can come on she and do could. a session. Yeah, Absolutely. she could. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so. Okay, so you're running a support group and you're working and you're recovering, Absolutely, aren't you? Yeah. When so let's go to your late twenties because I know we've got to get we've got a lot to get through. When would you say can you look at your life and kind of look over your shoulder and go, my eating disorders are behind me? Now I know they mm, never go because. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go into it, but when, when could can you sort of name a time? I think in my late twenties, oh, I, okay. I started. Yeah, my late twenties, I started to um, 
uh, kind of really do the groundwork and the healing work and get underneath what, you know, what, what was going on. And I went into, I started my sort of formal counselling training and that meant being in groups and going into one-to-one therapy and suddenly, you know, kind of really opening up, being able to articulate how I felt because I didn't really have a, a kind of a template really on how to, even how to express how I felt or acknowledge what was really going on. That how was did you find that? Well, I can remember one of the first groups where um, one of the trainers said something about, you know, how do you feel about that, Tracy? It was a, I brought something into the session and she, how do, how do you feel? I was like, well, no one's ever asked me that. How yeah. do you feel? And that, that sort of broke me down to, you know, push me up really. And right. from that, from that moment in time, I just thought, well, there's there's a real journey here, really, because from no, not I'm not not putting the blame on anyone within the family system, because I think, you know, my my parents and my grandparents, I think they they all did the best they could given the circumstances, and um, but that that was that was the beginning, really, and also I I had I had a relationship with a very. Um, it was a very supportive boyfriend. It was quite a serious relationship. It was three, four years, and and he was he was very kind to me actually. Oh, wonderful! And it it was it was a gift because he he was very affirming of of me, and I think and there was a lot of love there, and and I think that helped me with with the confidence of myself and it wasn't just that that's really important to say but you know it was a combination of what I felt and I was able to take that in his kindness and his love and his appreciation for me and then I was doing the inner work and I think you know that as a collective was was really important and that got me on then and then I continued on on with my psychotherapy and and then discovered yoga in my mid late thirties, which was another healing, um, yeah. on a more spiritual level. For sure, for sure, and also on a physical level, just getting you in touch with your body in completely. a completely different yeah. way from a completely, completely. different lineage. Yes. So I'm, I think I'm always in awe of people who've had eating disorders and then become therapists and mm-hmm. talk to people with eating disorders because yes. I used to say to my therapist. I cannot imagine what it's like to sit with someone like me going over the same old things for mm-hmm. months and years. Um, I still don't think I could do that. This is the closest I've ever got to. Yeah. Uh, what, what, was that, what was that motivation? Why did you want to be a psychotherapist and why did you want to help people with eating mm. disorders and addiction? Well, I think if I sort of go back even to my sort of real early life, I, I always... I, I loved I, I loved being you know gathering groups and uh-huh. gathering groups of friends. I used to have a little club called the <laughs> it was called the Blue Star Club. You know my mom <laughs> and I'd, I'd I'd sort of gather my friends and we'd have little weekly meetings in the in the garden shed. Fantastic. And I know I know and I was into the guides. Oh, you know I was a proper. Oh. Uh-huh. I say, Gemma, I was a good little girl. Really. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I did, but, but actually the essence of it, the essence of it was I, I love bringing people together. Right. And my mum my my mom would often say that actually, Tracy, you're very good at gathering, gathering you know, friends in who, who are a bit lonely or right. on their own. Or, right. So I think there was always that sense of wanting to help people. And, and, okay. And, and then... Um, Did you it, also have a sense of yourself being able to help people? I think so. I, I think I've always, I've got a lot of kind of like, I don't know, joy or, you know, I've, I really, I think it's inherent in me. Yeah. I think I am a, you know, kind of helper. And then I, when I worked for BA, that was all about being in service, serving sure. people. Yeah. And and I got, I got involved in setting up, um, well, there was a counselling service, which is still in existence there, called Crew Care. Great. So I was flying and I got involved in that. And then I, end, then I ended up managing that for many years and had a team of crisis counsellors who were crew. And I left flying to go and do that more um, full time and then trained as a, I've got a degree in counselling and then a master's. So I kind of went on from there. But I think for as long as I can remember, I've really enjoyed 
bringing people together and supporting and helping people and and I think eating disorders is such a it's 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 definitely recoverable I I do feel with the with the right support I think people can you know you can't one can recover from it but you've got to get the right support and what do you think the right support is I think I think first of all I think it does start from within that sense of um and it there's something not quite right and I want to change this I want to do something different and then so I think it's that inner voice saying I want to I want to change this. I want to do something different. This isn't serving me anymore. And then reaching out to somebody who's skilled and trained within within the scope of eating disorders. But but you know, how, there's a, how do you reach out to someone if you right have no finances? Well, I mentioned earlier about the Beat organization, for example, I think is a, is a good starting point because they have a, you know, they have a great resource of of counselors and support groups. So, I always say if somebody doesn't have the resources, you know, they they can't afford to pay for private counseling or that well they go to their doctor first off because there are you know great services within the NHS but you know we know that the NHS is stretched at the moment and sometimes there is a time to wait you know before you can get access the the support um, what do you think someone can do at home it's supposing someone's listening to this and they're realizing that they have an eating disorder that they've never really thought about yeah. and certainly no one knows well i i think there's a so much more out in the world now mm-hmm. around eating disorders, whether it's compulsive binge eating, whether it's anorexia, whether it's bulimia. Um, you know, there, there are several eating disorders and there's a lot more available. There's a lot more spoken about in, in the press and in the media. So I think it's about... Really, it, if there's somebody around that you know in, in trust, yeah, I think that can be a starting point just to voice and say, hey, I feel I've got this issue, I've got this problem, I just want to share that with you. So, to, so a trusted friend is a starting point. And then that can be the gateway into maybe going to your doctor or finding a counsellor through an organisation like BEAT, for example, and, you know, and there are many, many more, but that's uh, the one that comes straight yeah. to mind at the moment. Do you recommend doing anything creative? Absolutely. And I think... Writing? Absolutely. Writing, I think the creative, you know, the, all of the creative arts and writing and painting, you know, being in nature. Yeah. And swimming and mm. just walking. I think... I think a lot of it is about part of, you know, certainly when I'm working with my clients, it's not, it's not all about what happens in the talking therapy. In fact, it's, you know, far from it. It's about, it is to some degree, that sense of taking some kind of change, some action in moving the body, being outside, um, being in nature, helping yourself feel grounded and, you know, and if if not not all of the people I work with are up for that, but you know, meditating, you know, participating in yoga, finding different ways of just getting inside the body, loving the body in a different, more and in, in, in a positive way, which is you know, it's big. It's yeah. I'm not saying this is not easy stuff, and sometimes this can take quite a long time. Yeah, because yeah. you're peeling back the layers. Yeah, to form you know new ones again, if that makes sense. What and do you think the commonalities? or the main themes, if you like, of eating disorders are or is anxiety? Can it be boiled down to that one that um, one theme? I'm not sure. I think that's, you know, that is definitely, you know, that's one component. And I think I was, I was an anxious young teenager, for sure. Yeah, me and too. I think, I think the, I was anxious and I, and, and I, th- I think the the whole mechanism around food and what I did was me trying to self soothe, and that that actually that's quite a that's quite a a key issue within the healing of one's own eating disorder because 
a lot of the time, the process of what you're doing with food, whether it's binging, purging, restricting, there is a kind of a self-soothing around it because there's no other other knowing about how you do that until you go into therapy and you learn new ways of doing things so self-soothing might be you know if you're if you're anxious well you can go out for a walk sounds really basic but going for a walk um being in nature or listening to music or dancing or yeah. painting or rather rather than turning turning to the food as a way of yeah. soothing the system down anything to take you out of yourself completely i did an interview the other day with um someone who had had she's recovered now binge eating disorder right yes and anorexia yes now, when she was binging, because I I can't imagine what it is like to binge and not get rid of it. Yeah. And we were talking about this, and she's also a writer. Yes. And when she was binging, the way that she got round her binge or soothed herself was yeah. then then only when she was completely full was would she be able to write. And I I still can't get mm. it because I would be, and I think it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And. Because I would be absolutely, I would be so restless. I would have to, I, and she's written a book, a memoir called Empty. Yeah. She's called Susan Burton. She's yeah. terrific. Yeah. Um, and I was just saying, no, I would have to be empty to create and, and to write. Yeah. Obviously not yeah. now. I, I actually, it, it's a really, really interesting point because I think what you're kind of touching on there is the whole, the whole issue around kind of like one's own brain chemistry because ah. without without question there is a chemical shift certainly when say for example when when one is binging when one is purging yeah you know you've got sometimes a release of serotonin the you know the oxytocin that all has an effect on on the body state so sometimes people can feel like well I'm really more relaxed now you know it's it's really interesting so I often hear from my clients well actually I, I I'll have that binge and then I'm feeling more relaxed or if I'm restricting and I'm not eating anything I'm feeling way more relaxed than if I if I'm eating and I've got food inside of me and you know that's so that's what you know you're trying to work with really which which is a challenge it's so we all have a different kind of brain chemistry thing going on and it's about I think it's about being aware of that that that's another element that actually when we're eating there's a whole lot of other things going on in the body that sometimes we just we're not aware of until we start sort of picking it apart like this in a way I think that's very interesting and I'm a little bit naive about the brain chemistry because yeah. when I first went into therapy it certainly wasn't talked about um but I know that it's an area of research and oh gosh, absolutely. it's growing absolutely Gemma and I think it's more and again it's more much more known in the world now you know yeah. this is talked about you know very you know very openly and with within my within my practice I I share with my clients what what might be going on within their brain and their body that 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 they may not be aware of and 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 about finding different ways to self-soothe and different ways to release serotonin without turning without turning to food without and without turning against the self exactly okay we're going to take a little break and stop right there we'll be right back You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with the lovely Tracy. So at the beginning of this episode, I said that it was dedicated to Tracy's niece, Charlotte, who suffered from body dysmorphic disorder. Um, And that's something that I would like to talk about. I think we should dedicate this last bit of the interview to Charlotte. And... I don't know very much about body dysmorphic disorder other than I probably did suffer from it uh, and I don't as much. Actually, I went onto the body dysmorphic disorder website, which is fantastic. I highly recommend it. And I took the test at the beginning. I think it's several categories. You 
tick lots of boxes and uh, I think if you're over 40 or something then you have a serious issue and I wasn't and I was really struck by that because I think a few years ago I, I would have been over 40 so I felt very grateful um but can we yes can we talk about Charlotte and and how it was for her absolutely Gemma yes um so she didn't have an eating disorder did she no no she didn't have an eating disorder which um which is yeah is important to say because it is it's a separate condition to having an eating disorder but lots of people with eating disorders will be body dysmorphic absolutely they can have they can have elements of that yeah and actually to to say something about my darling niece who, yes. who um who were dedicating this today yeah to um she taught me she taught me a lot about the condition and and all the family really because i didn't i didn't know a lot about it until Char- charlotte started to develop it so and she was about 13 14 when she st- started to d- display a lot of anxiety and a lot of there was a lot of concern about being um she was she was bullied at school and and was 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 picked on at school which is we, we know this happens kind of a lot with young people tragically mm-hmm. yeah and how that message um get sort of it really sinks into the system really yeah. sinks in and and she was she was bullied for it was something about her appearance was and it? Wow. yes it was and she she held on to that rigorously which is which is very symptomatic of having body dysmorphic disorders so she had a a real she was she she hated her face and it was just the face there was it was no other part of the body it was mostly the face and i was really really struck by this but obviously being in the field of mental health and wanting to wanting wanting to help her and wanting to help um help, you know our family my sister and it was it was not easy to find the right treatment and I had been introduced to Professor David Veal, who I understood was the, the, the expert, and he is one of the keynote pe- person in, in, this, in, in this country, in Europe, actually, on, on body dysmorphic disorder. And so he, he worked with Char- Charlotte for uh, a couple of years, but it was, re- it was a very, very complex condition, and she really struggled deeply with it. And it was it was kind of one step forward several steps backs and, and and back and and she'd often sit with me you know bless her and say how much she just couldn't really get get this idea of 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 this sort of self-hatred and and, and just really Gemma just not being able to come to terms with seeing herself as everybody else saw her she she saw herself as with almost like with a disability she saw the face and hated it and that came from way way back around when she was bullied in her younger years did her so we have a photo here of charlotte we do and she's beautiful yes when i was reading about body dysmorphia i didn't realize that people suffering from body dysmorphic disorder can look in the mirror and their face will enlarge yes, or yes. their chin will grow yes. or, or I nose didn't, or... Yeah, actually, I didn't know that. I thought it was just about, oh God, I, I hate myself, I hate myself, I'm so disappointed. So did she look in the mirror? Yes, she did. And, yeah. and is that what happened? It's a fascinating kind of subject really because which we're learning about, we're learning about all the time. Um, and there's a lot of research being done at the moment on the condition and and we're creating a new website which is being launched after right. the, the BDD conference together with the OCD Action in June. Okay. And on that website, there's going to be a lot of features around, you know, the new developments of the research that's going into this subject because there there's a lot of 
there's still a lot about it that is is unknown and it does get sometimes muddled up with having an eating disorder because it is about the perceived sense of self and um, and body image and how we look, but but it but it's different at the same time. Did she, was there anything else going on with her? Was she obsessive about anything? Yes, she was, and and often the 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 OCD behaviours and the um, and and that deep sense of self loathing and anxiety are all in the mix. But there is help for it, yes. Gemma. There is help for it, and it's. It's about finding and locating someone, a good clinician, and we've got links to that on the website coming up, as there are now, but there are, we're developing it, which is it's going to come out in June with more contacts on there, which is, is really saying it is treatable, and it's treatable with a particular kind of therapy, which is much more CBT, CBT and behavioural based. Okay. So if anybody's listening and they think that they do have this and they're suffering from it, it's really important that they try to find somebody. And the site is really, the, the website is really good at detailing that, that they find somebody who's really skilled. Professor David, Professor Veal and Rob Wilson are probably the keynote people in this country that are kind of steering, you know, the, getting the messages out and and developing the research. Okay, on it. I'm very interested in it, that she shared it with you. She she did, and that's and so interesting, isn't it? Because it's the antithesis of bulimia and keeping everything secret. Absolutely. So everyone was drawn in and included into absolutely, her story. Yes. But it was it was a real challenge, Gemma, yeah. actually, to find the right the right treatment centre within the NHS. And and Professor Veal did did work really hard to 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 find Charlotte the right support but it was really overwhelming for her and was she able to function was she able to go to school she was up into up into a time where it then became too overwhelming and it's it's got sadly it's got one of the it's got a high suicide rate and it was devastating then actually the condition did take it it, it it took Charlotte's life and yeah I think I'd like to sort of say as well that and we know this to be true because when she died which was in September 2019 which was utterly devastating for all of us um especially you know my sister her mother and her her sister Jess and brother Tom and her and her father Neil, um, devastating and it still is. You know, it's something. It, it's something that you know. It's 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 just a tragedy. Absolutely, and yeah. words escape me really. No, it's just I'm just listening to you and it just it. There's, there's like to lose a child and to lose a child like that. There aren't any words and handling it as a family unit. Um, is well, and, is and one thing, isn't it? But ab- just absolutely. But one of the things that has come out of it, right? That, well, there's a couple of things that you know we're where we do know from from the report from the coroner's report that Charlotte took her life because of body dysmorphic disorder. And that was a a bit of a landmark, really. Which wow. is this is this is just recently come out over in the last few months. You know, wow. it took a while for for the report to, to to happen because of the pandemic. And it was quite a, if I can say, to some degree, some degree, it was a, it was a relief for my my sister and her family because. They got a got a true sense of actually this is she just found life unbearable because yeah. of this condition, and that's really important to say. And I think what we're hoping to do is is create um, my sister and I um, are going to create a foundation 
on behalf of Charlotte to to help other other people with a condition to work alongside what the what the BDD Foundation are doing. But it um, it, it it was it was a, a bit of a landmark case actually, and Professor Veal was sort of keynote in that and. So it's given a little bit of re- relief, if if that's at all possible. But yeah, I think you yeah. have to find relief in a situation like that, and also to realise that it was out of anyone else's control, and we are ultimately in control of our own lives, aren't we? Even if we're not conscious of it, or it doesn't feel like that, and some things are overwhelming. Completely. I have completely, a I had a very good friend who, um, one of my best friends, who took his own life. Life was just too painful for him. Yeah, for for many reasons. Well, that's a uh, that's such a, a key point, really, Gemma. Because I had, you know, endless conversations with with Charlotte over the years, which which was really really difficult. Um, I suppose you hold on to the part of that that person is not going to do it. You know, yeah. you just hold on to that. You know, but she was very clear of, you know, how much she was suffering. And I think, unfortunately, she was being treated in, 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 in a time, even though it was only a, a couple of years ago, where there still, there wasn't enough um, of the right treatment going right. on for her. And okay. that, that was revealed in the in the coroner's report, actually. And she would share that with us and say I don't I don't feel I'm getting the right support and of course you're talking about the support needed for somebody really fragile actually Gemma right, that right. needed the 24-7 support you know it was um it was very difficult it, it was a it was a a tremendous amount of strain on her and on the family and it was utterly devastating when, you know, she did finally take her life. Did but she I, ever, sorry to interrupt you there, but did she ever say, I want to get better? Sometimes yes, sometimes yes. And, okay. and there were some people that she really felt were helping her. So David and Rob, Rob Wilson, David Veal, and right, there were right. a couple of other um they were young nurses actually that were in the facility where she was at that were helpful but then there was a there was a changing point which actually my my sister did go on she went on radio she went on radio 4 to talk about it which did was she yes she did and that was a bit around what happens to young people when they're in the system and they they're in the system and they're they're sectioned and then they turn 18 and so they have to move from a child in an adolescent unit ward to then go into an adult facility and we could see which was really difficult that the shift of that for charlotte who was who was 18 right but actually psychologically probably about 10 or 11 in her emotional state then had to go into this particular facility and it was was that the trigger it was it was really it was really unhelpful Gemma yeah right and um you know we know that you know these places are under you know they're the staff and the people that work in these places they're under a huge amount of pressure and the cases are really you know they're really they are difficult they are challenging but I think what happened for Charlotte is that you know she was 18 I think if I remember I think then the next age up at this particular ward that she was on it was in um it was in St Albans I think it was and um all this was all treatment through the NHS um I think the next age up of the of of a patient was I think they were sort of like mid late 30s and so wow and and they were not every, you know everyone was obviously there because they weren't well but I I think it was very difficult for Charlotte she really didn't feel understood and and we had to wait for a long period of time before she then moved to a different facility it, it was it was a sort of a classic case of being moved around and nothing was really fitting and she knew that and of course i think she felt it was it was like well what's the point i think she lost hope and the only, and and we were trying to kind of keep the hope up all the time which is 
you know, which is what you do when you love somebody. Yeah. You know? But it it was really exhausting, and we were all hands. We were all in involved in that. You know, as well as my sister and her family, my mum and my husband and my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard work, but hard work worth it in every single way because you love that person and you just want them to get through it. But it it was it it, it was exhausting. Yeah, for of for for us and mostly for her, of course. Yeah, um, such a sad story. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that happened. Well, I suppose, Gemma, it's about... You know, but- my sister and I are talking about, OK, so what Lisa and I have been talking recently about what can, you know, can we create a space? Can we create some kind of foundation, if you will, that w- to support other young people like Charlotte? Um, of course, to yeah. make sense of it all, to, to make to have sense something, of it all. absolutely, to grow something out of it, to yes. be creative with it. Yeah, yes. of course, with all yeah. that pain. Yes, everything that you've talked about: the uh, Body Dysmorphic Disorder Association, uh, Professor Veal. Um, there was another chap, Rob, Rob, Rob Wilson. It's all going to be on yeah. our Instagram page. Yes, this is a terrible segue. Because do you feel like you've talked and spoken enough about Charlotte? Do you think we've, do you think we can wrap this bit up here? Is there anything else that you'd like to share or say or? What what else can I say? Um, You don't have to say anything else. I just want to make sure that you feel replete. I think I I feel all right, Gem. Do you? Yes, I do. Okay. If you were going to an island, any island, what five foods would you take? You have a larder. You have salt and pepper and spices. (laughs) But this is, this is, you see what I mean about a terrible segue. <laughs> what would I say? Oh, food-wise? Yes, well, your I, five foods. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, I I love kombucha. Okay. Yes, I, I'd, lo- I'd definitely take some um, kombucha with me. It's not strictly a food, No, is it's it? not. But you can it? take no, it. I can take it. You can take it. But food... Um, no, you've got kombucha, you've got four left. Oh, goodness me. Okay, I, I love cheese. Okay. Um, what type of cheese? Um, I love... I love vegan cheese. A bit boring on that, really. Oh, do you? I love cashew nuts. Okay. Um, Kombucha, vegan cheese, cashew yes. nuts. I love pasta. Okay. Yeah, I love pasta. Um, One more. And, I, and I, oh, I do, I'm a sucker for ice cream. I do love ice cream. Okay. Chocolate, chocolate ice cream. Chocolate ice yes. cream. That's fantastic. So you can whip up something with your cashew nuts and cheese and pasta. Yeah, exactly. And Italians will go, oh, God, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> So and then have yummy. some gelato. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that accent. Uh, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on to this food thing. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure and inspiration to talk to you today. Thank you, Gemma. Thank yeah. you. Happy birthday, Charlotte. Yes, happy birthday, Charlotte. She'd be, <laughs> she'd be 21 today. And, Amazing. Um, she's all around. I can, yeah. I can feel her. She so is. Thank, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to just to share some of the story around her really amazing very heartfelt (laughs) brilliant thank you thanks for listening i'd love to know your favorite bit from this episode let me know on instagram at this food thing podcast or join us again in the next episode 